0: Hello, it's a jumper day today, and I must apologise first thing, I've started doing this and just realised my hair is a disastrous mess today, but that's okay, I can deal with the resulting horrified responses, I don't have time to mess around with it right now, so I'll just apologise instead and move on. After my rather uncharacteristically emotional last post about the wars currently raging, I feel the need to talk about freedom something I'm rather passionate about. I believe in free speech, and not just a little bit, I'm really quite big on it. Freedom of speech refers to an individual's freedom to express their thoughts, opinions, ideas, and beliefs without fear of persecution or punishment. A free and open exchange of ideas is vital for the functioning of a democratic society. It supports the process of making informed decisions, holding leaders to account and every citizen's right to meaningful participation in the democratic process. Without free speech, the checks and balances are weakened, likely leading to authoritarianism, which some people say we're under threat of right now, if not already in. It's the fundamental principle in a democratic society, not just allowing individuals to voice their views, however unpopular or controversial. It also sparks creativity, innovation, problem solving and critical thinking. The main things our freedoms are really designed to do is ensure in those areas where millions before us have suffered or died for their beliefs, We're able to do things like expand our minds and make our own decisions with free access to books and information. We call it education. (laughs) Practice a chosen religion. Marry the person we're in love with. Or vote for or even campaign for the political party of our choice without persecution. Or it's supposed to be at any rate. But as with everything else, freedom of speech has what some view as a negative side. It means that people who believe things we don't like or agree with can say them. It means that ideas we believe are wrong or destructive can flourish if enough people get behind them, and the internet has given the more extreme beliefs a place to do exactly that. Some people feel the best way to deal with that is censorship. Controlling speech or even compelling certain speech they deem appropriate, um, as has been seen in Canada in recent years, actually going against our fundamental rights. I don't agree. I think those rights should be passionately protected as they exist for a reason. The more transparently we share, the better it is for the whole of society. Bringing darkness into the light is the only way to fight it. If you hide it, it just flourishes. The only place online I've seen this issue being addressed reasonably effectively is on X with community notes, a very cool tool. I haven't dared sign up to do it myself though. I don't think I'm quite clever enough. Where users can challenge messaging or statements really effectively, even calling out with evidence barefaced lies. Even the advertisers aren't immune, which is an extremely brave move by the ex-leadership. The argument against free speech claims that it allows hate speech to flourish. But what is hate speech? Its definition is abusive or threatening speech or writing that expresses prejudice on the basis of protected characteristics, such as ethnicity, religion, sex, gender, sexual orientation, disability, etc, etc, etc. However, because there is nothing which specifically defines what speech is included, it has morphed into anything that people find offensive. And not even just words, it can include things as impossible to control as facial expressions. The issue being, of course, that we all find different things offensive and therefore there is no framework to work within. And so my first question is who decides? Who decides what is and isn't offensive or hateful when the variable is human? Offence is a feeling and so all are different depending on our life experience, personal thoughts, feelings, ideas and resulting sensitivities. So who decides? It's not possible to create laws that are fair and can't be abused if there's no easy, monochromatic answer of what is right or wrong when it comes to offence or hate speech. It's impossible for citizens of a country to stay inside a law if it's not clearly defined. And it is impossible to define a feeling. For example, I'm not remotely offended by blonde jokes. You could say, I'm not a proper blonde anymore, but that's only because I don't have the money to get my colour done right now. I've never viewed those jokes as microaggressions or feel they're undermining me as a woman. There are some great ones out there. If you have any, feel free to post them below. I won't get upset. But other women are offended by them. They see them as misogynistic or belittling in some way. To me, they're just a comment on stereotypes created, in many cases, by women. I'm not upset by jokes about women drivers. I'm actually a fabulous driver, though some may not agree. But I confess I cannot park to save my life, something I am, again, not remotely sensitive about. So feel free to make jokes about bad women parkers, too. But be careful, if you share a meme or a joke now, which today could possibly be considered funny, you may find yourself tied up in knots in a few years' time, under a rather vague law that doesn't like your joke, but isn't really able to define why. But then, freedom of speech has never meant freedom from any consequences, and in fact, in many ways up to recent years, it's been rather self-policing and that we all recognised that there would always be consequences, and therefore we monitored ourselves. That's where good old-fashioned manners came into play. There were always things you didn't talk about in polite company. In fact, very few of us have actually got real solid freedom of speech, as we recognise that more controversial beliefs and behaviours can impact our work, relationships, families and friendships. When I was young, adults in my life told me it was impolite to discuss politics, religion or money in social situations, and if I wanted to have any friends at all, don't do it. Consequences of the things we say can impact every part of our lives. More so now with social media than at any other time in history. Employers, for example, have the right to make hiring decisions based on various factors, not just the applicant's qualifications and experience, but how they fit with the company's values and culture. Believe me, they look across social media now, investigating who you are and what you've had to say in the past to ensure their organisation is protected from any skeletons in your closet. And not just on your LinkedIn profile that you've happily provided them with. They go searching for your personal accounts. It's generally illegal to discriminate against potential or current employees based on their protected characteristics, as mentioned earlier. But if you have radical beliefs and have said or indeed been involved in actions that go against the values and culture of an organisation or that an organisation deem possibly damaging to their brand, employers can reject or even fire you based upon that. Radicalization, The process by which an individual or group adopts beliefs, ideologies, or behaviours which are considered extreme and involve a significant departure from mainstream or widely accepted political, religious, or so- social, societal norms. <laughs> try that. But what? pushes beliefs over the line from a belief to being radical. Again, it's pretty simple. Believe what you want, but once a group advocates for or presents a growing willingness to use violence as a means of promoting their views or achieving their objectives, then they're radical extremists and should be dealt with in the strongest terms. In a democratic society, this is just not permitted and we have the laws in place to address it. However, we need to be stronger about rejection of such radicalization. It's not an ism of any kind to reject or prosecute groups who advocate violence. Their protected characteristics, if they have any, shouldn't be a factor. It is the incitement or violent action which is relevant. And I think that's been forgotten, mostly out of fear of being accused of isms, which has been permitted to become a weaponized defence of such behaviours. And, of course, there's the control of speech to ensure what is shared is appropriate. And I'm not talking about the reintroduction of good manners or the brilliant British stiff upper lip. There are high numbers of people currently wanting to limit freedom of speech based not just on offence, but on the sharing of what they identify as conspiracy theories or mis- or disinformation driving harmful narratives. But that suggests that all conspiracy theories, all question of anything outside of the mainstream narrative is wrong. Those investigating conspiracies are often made out to be complete nutters, usually to undermine their opinion. But there's that wonderful saying, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. There have been huge numbers of conspiracy theories throughout history, which have later proven to be true. They're flying around right now with all the stuff that's going on, elections, wars and pandemics. But I really don't want to use any current ones as examples and get pulled into those instead of sticking to the core topic of our freedoms. So instead, I'm going to look at some interesting and uncontested examples, such as one of my favourites that's appeared in loads of movies over the years, government mind control. There was a conspiracy theory in the US that the CIA was testing LSD and other hallucinogenic drugs on Americans in a top-secret experiment on behaviour modification. And it turned out to be true. The programme was called MKUltra, The CIA started by using volunteers, but the programme heads soon began dosing people without their knowledge, and MKUltra left many victims permanently mentally disabled. Another, which I always thought a little silly, but turned out to be true, was that the FBI was spying on John Lennon of Beatles fame. I mean, what for? The truth was, like many counterculture heroes, Heroes, a really overused word at best. Lenin was considered a threat by the administration of the time. Anti-war songs like Give Peace a Chance didn't exactly endear him to Nixon. And NPR reported in 2010 that in 1971, the FBI put Lenin under surveillance and US immigration tried to deport him the following year. I mean, what a waste of taxpayer money. What's he going to do? Except maybe impact how people viewed the war or the administration's narrative. So maybe a dangerous voice from the perspective of the political elite of the day. And don't even get me started on government surveillance of citizens via technology. We all know that's happening. Weirdly, only the conspiracy theorists seem to care too much. So here's my second question who decides? Who decides what is a conspiracy theory and what is a theory that identifies an actual conspiracy? Who decides what is misinformation or disinformation instead of just a challenge to the common government-accepted narrative? When you put it all together in simple terms, it's not rocket. In a free society, you must be free to live Believe, read, or feel as you choose. And if another doesn't agree with you or accept you or even challenges your beliefs, that's their freedom in action. If there is evidence that someone has caused physical harm of another or called for, celebrates, or um, pushes an escalation of physical violence, it should be and is outside of your freedoms under the law and not permitted. Offense is not violence. Violence is violence. I find it interesting having gone through all of this, it's easier to see that it all comes back to the same question over and over again, doesn't it? Who decides? Who do you think should decide? Who do you believe should have the ultimate power over the information you're permitted to access or share? How comfortable are you with accepting the narrative you are fed or told you must believe? Do you feel that governments or religious leaders, mainstream media, activist groups or even scientists who can never even agree with each other are best placed to tell you what is fact and what is fiction? Would you accept their right to compel you to use their accepted and approved language? or decide what should be censored, and therefore that you are what you're permitted to read and what you are not permitted to read. What you can say and what you can't. What to believe and, by extension, how to live. I don't think I want anyone else deciding that for me. I think I'd prefer to make my own decisions based upon Free access to the information, the freedom to challenge authority, to debate, to speak as I feel is appropriate, taking into account current circumstances, good manners, and the aims at the time. And I'd like those same freedoms for my children. I don't really want to cover politics here, but I think a party who ran on that message would make me truly optimistic for the future. How about you? I'd be really interested to hear what you think. Who do you think should decide?